Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Mindful Recovery. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you recover from trauma and addictions, one breath at a time. Hi, and thanks for being here once again at Mindful Recovery. I'm glad you're here. This week I've got an interview with Michael Weinberger, who is a really interesting story. You know, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and has addictions, and life got really out of hand for him. And so we talk a lot about that. I had him on because I ran across his app. He developed an app for daily use to help people like set goals, create a gratitude list, um, and just really, really was how he recovered. And he's a software developer, so I wanted to have him on and talk about his life story because it was interesting and give you an opportunity to find his app because I think it could be a very helpful tool in your recovery. This is not an advertisement. I have not started taking on ads yet. When I do, it'll be an intro and an outro, but I will never, ever um, try and have anyone on that I don't believe in their product. Um, I value you all as listeners far too much to just kind of pawn things off. Um, so far, you know, I, this all, the whole podcast has been self-funded and um, will continue to be so if I don't find, you know, products that I really believe in. And um, so I just wanted to discuss with Michael his journey through recovery. And then I'm going to make a link to his app available um, under the artwork for the episode. Uh, Again, this isn't a replacement for therapy. Certainly his app would not be considered in my mind a replacement for therapy. Um, If you're digging around in these issues, you know I say it every week get into therapy. Um, If you don't have a therapist, reach out to me. I'll hook you up with some places that you can find one in your area. Okay, so without further ado, my discussion here with Michael Weinberger about his own recovery process and how he came to develop this app. Michael, thank you for being with me today. Robert, thanks for having me. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit with my audience about your journey through recovery. I know that you were duly diagnosed and that struggled with addiction along the way and that mindfulness and some good therapy and 12-step programs really helped you to recover. So why don't you tell me about when you were diagnosed and how it manifested and when the addiction started as a kind of a coping tool? Absolutely. I, uh, my, my original diagnosis uh, with bipolar disorder uh, happened in 1994. I was uh, 17 years old uh, and I was just having a difficult time uh, getting by. Uh, you know, and I was actually originally diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, uh, ADHD uh, or ADD. And uh, I was given medication to treat that diagnosis, uh, which is, if, if your listeners don't know, it's, it's stimulants, right? People with ADD get stimulants for the treatment of attention deficit disorder. And someone like myself who suffers from mania, uh, the last thing I needed in my life was additional stimulation. I didn't seem to have any problem uh, hitting extreme highs and lows, uh, and I was all over the place. And so after receiving my diagnosis, uh, I was very medication inconsistent. 
I, a therapist said to me that I was listening to the world at 100 miles an hour and the world was speaking back at 10 miles an hour. And so if you could imagine, uh, I was having a very difficult time with personal relationships. I was having a difficult time in high school, uh, which manifested itself to being difficult in college. Uh, and I went through the normal course of life, uh, you know, at, at least as my mother had preached it to me. You know, you graduate high school, you go to college, you graduate college, you get a job. You know, those were that's what life was supposed to look like. Uh, and I felt like I was just having a more difficult time uh, going through the the regular paces than than others were. So I can uh, I can imagine that you know if like he said you were listening to the world at 100 miles an hour and 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 people were speaking to you at 10, that must have produced like a ton of anxiety. A ton of anxiety, a ton of irritability. You know, it's it's basically if I if you know we could easily simulate it. You know, this conversation would sound like this. And so in your head, you're thinking, hurry, 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 I suspect. Absolutely. Not only hurry, in my head, I'm anticipating what your next question is, and I've already had the conversation by the time you get there. Wow. <laughs> so most of my conversations were pretty short <laughs> because right. I already had the conversation in my head. There was no need to verbalize it with the person I was in the conversation with. Uh, it ended up getting me uh, – I, I ended up being a very high achiever as well as getting thrown out of college, uh, expelled from a college uh, because of that inability to sit in a classroom. Uh, I had difficulty in high school, not from a grade perspective, uh, but from a, uh, listen, teacher, are you just going to read this book to us? Because if so, I could do that on my own uh, kind of confrontational perspective. Uh, and I found that, uh, you know, I was just struggling. Unfortunately, uh, like many people that are diagnosed, uh, rather than turning to your um, medication uh, treatment plan uh, that your doctors are giving you, uh, I turned to self-medication. And so uh, I would think that if I took uh, all my meds on Thursday, uh, it would make up for not taking them Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And so just as a disclaimer, that's not how medication works. Uh, you know, your doctors do know uh, medication requires, you know, regularity and consistency. Uh, but I had turned to alcohol. I had turned to very casual drug use uh, just to kind of manage the ups. You know, fortunately, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder type 1. So I spend a lot more time, probably 80% of my diagnosis in a manic state. And to just help define that, mania for me is irritability and rage and unrest and enthusiasm, you know, unbridled uh, exuberance. Uh, but it's not always just happy, happy, happy. It comes with a lot of road rage and frustration that I can't seem to articulate. Well, it seems to me that if the stimulants were prescribed but they weren't working to slow some of that down – then it's possible the ADHD was misdiagnosed and confused with what was going on with the bipolar cycles. That's that exactly right. If I didn't say that out loud, I'm sorry. That's no, that's exactly okay. right. I was misdiagnosed with ADD. 
Oh, okay. Right? And so after a few months of, you know, being given a stimulant and all of a sudden driving, you know, uh, 50,000 miles without a, a need to sit down and stop uh, and an inability to be found in the same place for more than an hour, uh, we came to the realization that that's not my diagnosis. Right. That's, so that's my, incredibly common, unfortunately. Right. And so my diagnosis was, was bipolar type 1. And so now I have a lot of these manic tendencies as part of my diagnosis. And the last thing someone with mania needs is an additional stimulant. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. My brain is my stimulant. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, uh, the, the brain sciences aren't a perfect science, right? It's not like I broke my arm, you take an x-ray, you see my broken arm. Uh, it's, I come in and describe a feeling or a series of, uh, uh, behaviors and we try and treat them based on the, the symptomology of, of the illness. So um, when ahead, did Robert. the, when did the, um, substance use begin as a coping mechanism? When did that uh, start so for you? It, it was probably late high school, uh, certainly all throughout college. Uh, I probably had uh, my first set of drinks in my senior year in, in high school. And when I started to realize I wasn't like everyone else, uh, you know, three, three of us guys would get together for, you know, to go camping or something. And, uh, you know, I'd bring, uh, you know, two cases of beer for three people. <laughs> right. Because I just thought I didn't want to run out. I wanted to make sure there was enough. And so it never became a daily thing for me, uh, but it became a binge-type behavior for me uh, because I had impulse control issues, right? So it was either drinking to excess or driving to excess. So I was uh, pulled over multiple times in excess of 100 miles an hour. Uh, I had my license suspended. Uh, but for me, I was just trying to satiate all of the thoughts and feelings that were going on in my mind. Uh, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. Uh, by the time I got to college, there was some pot smoking um, to see if I could slow myself down. Uh, and that had worked. And so without a consistent medication regimen substituting depressants like alcohol, uh, like marijuana, uh, was helping me. Uh, unfortunately for me, uh, I didn't start using my psychological medication um, for 15 years after my diagnosis. It took me 15 years to become medication compliant and really kind of follow what my doctor was telling me to do. Uh, so I'm 32 years old. Uh, I'm hospitalized for uh, hopefully the last time, uh, but I'm 32 years old. It's actually my birthday, uh, April oh. 13th. Go ahead, Robert. Oh, wow, that's amazing. That What a birthday present, I was just thinking. <laughs> right, and on my birthday, uh, I actually uh, overdose uh, while I'm on the phone with my, uh, my psychologist. And, uh, you know, I just, I wanted the mind to stop racing. I don't believe I wanted to die. I just couldn't cope with the world spinning around me. Uh, and so, uh, I ended up overdosing, uh, and having my girlfriend at the time who has later become my wife drive me to the hospital. Uh, and I was hospitalized for 10 days, uh, while they tried to get my medication in order. And, uh, 
while that happened, it really took me six months after that to begin working again, to really kind of get my life back. Uh, however, I could tell you since 2009, uh, I've had, you know, f- several incidents of crises. Uh, however, uh, I've never had to go back to the hospital. And so I celebrate that uh, through the use of a lot of the tools I've learned over the years uh, and kind of a, a lot of humility and a willingness to uh, want to want to get better. Uh, you know, that involves, it seems to me, a lot of being willing to ask for help, which involves in turn believing that it will be there. It sounds like your wife, for one, and probably a few other people stepped up and you were able to form some relationships that made you believe maybe you had some help if you reached out for it. That's right. And I have, you know, I, I, my, my girlfriend turned into my wife. Uh, my mother has been a significant supporter of my diagnosis from early on. Uh, my brother has been phenomenal. Uh, I have a business partner who actually understands me as, as well as anyone could. Uh, you know, there's many days, uh, actually just recently in 2015, uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of an episode. The pharmacy had sent me the wrong dose of my medication and I'm dealing with this, uh, this issue. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot I do that has become very habitual, which I could talk about in a few minutes. Uh, but one of those things is getting up, starting my day, getting going, driving somewhere. Right, whether it's to a client, to an office, to a coffee shop, just starting the action of moving. And uh, I start and I'm driving to a sales call and I'm absolutely hysterical. You know, I'm in tears. I I don't want to live, but I I don't know anything different. So I've trained myself to get up and start. And so my partner calls me and he, he says, What are you doing? And I'm crying. And he's, I'm like, I'm just crying here. I don't know. I'm going to a sales call. And he says, well, why don't you take a few days off, right? Why don't you take a week off and just focus on yourself? And I said, well, I wish I had that luxury. Uh, but for me, I, I just don't have that right now. I need to do something. I need a, a game plan. And uh, so he, he jokes and he says, well, are you going to go into the, uh, to the sales call crying? I said, I'll be honest with you. If that's what they're buying, that's what I'm selling. I said, because at this point, I don't know what else to do. Right. And if they're willing to buy it, I'm just going to show up because uh, I have found uh, that I spent so much of my life dealing with self-pity and negative self-talk and envy and comparing myself to others that I'm, I'm done with that. You know, that got me nowhere. You know, this comparing my, uh, my insides with someone else's outsides was only hurting me. And so uh, I, you know, I, I created an app that helps me practice these things every day. And I just decided I'm going to go into this and just be who I am. That's, and, you know. That's fantastic. So tell us about the app. That's a good place to jump off. I really want to get to that because I think it's something that my listeners might find quite useful because it helped you in your own recovery. What was your process of developing that? What made you decide to do that? And then what does it do for you and what does it offer us in recovery? Absolutely. I'm a, uh, I'm a technologist uh, by trade. Uh, I build software. Uh, I have a software company myself, a technology company. 
And uh, one of the things, I've been in therapy since I've been seven years old. You know, my parents got divorced and I went to therapy. And I think that's just how things worked in the 80s. Uh, so I don't fault anyone for that. Uh, but, you know, they were trying to figure out how I was going to deal with all this anger and, and out-of-control emotion. Uh, I just think my diagnosis happened much later than it actually presented itself. Uh, but the bottom line is uh, I, create, I, I like to create solutions. And I created an app. It's called A Plan for Living. And it's at aplanforliving.com. Uh, I trademarked uh, what I call the happiness formula. And the happiness formula is gratitude plus spirituality plus mindfulness equals awareness. And awareness equals happiness. And uh, I created the tool to really be a, a complement and a, and a supporter of mine, uh, whether I distributed it to the world or not. Right, because I had learned through therapy uh, that everyone has problems, and uh, most of the time we don't fail uh, in therapy. Right, most of us aren't picking up a drink at tw at, at AA. Most of us aren't uh, uh, doing negative self-talk while we sit in therapy and talk to a therapist. You know, when do we fail? You know, we fail in between meetings. Right? We fail when we don't have that resource, that safety net to reach out to. And what I had learned over the years was I needed to become my own safety net. And I needed to incorporate all of these wonderful principles of, uh, of treatment uh, into my life. And so if one were to look at cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy and 12-step recovery and mindfulness – each of those have great core principles, and some of us are able to use one of them, and some of us require more than one of them. And I created an app which is a complement to those four modalities, right? So you can use cognitive behavioral therapy and treatment with my app. You can go to 12-step meetings and use my app, right? It's not, it's not, they're not mutually exclusive. And so uh, what my app does is uh, it, it allows you to start having a genuine conversation with yourself. It allows you to start finding your own humility, and it allows you to start to recover without judgment, right? How often haven't we said something in a 12-step meeting or to a therapist for fear of even the, the rolling of the eyes or the shocked look, right? But we might think and feel things that we genuinely think and feel. And, and my tool is a way to get those things out of the way so you could see what they look like and feel like, right? And so a plan for living is based on a very simple premise. When you wake up in the morning, it asks you a question, how happy are you? And it rates you on a scale of 1 to 10, self-reported. 1, you're not getting out of bed today and you can't deal with life. Ten, you're getting out of bed today, and you're taking over the world. <laughs> Most people are going to fall in between one and ten, right? Most people, and, and so many tools that are out there, so many people are just teaching themselves, how do you feel? I, don't, I, I want to take that one step further. How happy are you, right? Let's put that positive spin. Let's start you moving in the right direction, right? And then... 
once you ask yourself how happy are you, there's three simple steps. The, the first step is a gratitude list. And I'll tell you something, when I first started using the tool and building the app, and I was asked to create a gratitude list by my therapist, first, it was the most awkward, uncomfortable experience in my life. <laughs> it always is. Absolutely. Right? I was like, I'm, I'm not humble enough to say that I'm grateful for my life, and I'm not comfortable enough saying that I actually am grateful for anything. There's, you know, my first, there's, ahead, a, there's a reason it's hard for us as therapists to get buy-in on that particular exercise. <laughs> it is not sure. it is not easy it's not how we're used to thinking you know right and not only are we not used to thinking that way sitting in the room with someone and trying to articulate it was even that much more difficult like my first gratitude list was i'm grateful i'm creating a gratitude list i'm grateful my list is done you yeah. know that's what my <laughs> list looked like yeah you know? and i'll tell you something uh after days and weeks and months of practice I'll tell you something. I wake up in the morning and my gratitude list is fired out faster than you could imagine. You know, and just for everyone's own experience and without saying names, uh, here's, here's my little exercise for our, our listeners, right? I'm grateful for my diagnosis, right? Because without my diagnosis, I wouldn't have to work on myself every day. I'm grateful for my medication. I'm grateful for my business partner. I'm grateful for my healthy kids. I'm grateful for my second marriage. I'm grateful for my first divorce. I'm grateful for my abusive father who has taught me how not to treat people. I am grateful for the success of my company. I am grateful for my failures. I am grateful for landing on my feet. In less than a minute, I was able to give you 10 deep, meaningful things that impact my life. And see, that's a... A real shift in thinking. I mean, we are wired as a species, we're wired to pay attention to the negative because it's the negative that can kill us. So, right. our, so our brains just naturally work that way. And, and that's why it takes so much for us to get buy-in from patients because they're already wired for the negative, which is helpful if you're in the woods and you could be beaten by tigers. You really want to pay attention to the negative things. But not so helpful when you're just trying to get to Walmart every day, you know. Um, So I think you've just pointed out the real shift that can happen when you start to buy into that is you start to see things like my abusive father, you know, my divorce as, okay, they were horrible things that happened to me, but here's what positive can come out of it, right? That's right. um, I think that's a, a huge shift in our thinking that takes us from being the surviving animal to the spiritual being. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's funny that that's how, how we segue. I'll come back to the social aspect of the app in a minute. Because when you segue to the spiritual being, my ne- you know, I, I then ask people to ask yourself, how happy are you? And usually you're going to get a point or two point move after creating a gratitude list. Because you'll, all of a sudden you're like, you know, you're right. Things aren't so bad today, you know, but the next list is what I call my spiritual list or my prayer list or my my wishes list, right? And unfortunately, the the use of the word prayer connotates religion. However, uh, let me explain to you what spirituality is for me. Spirituality is anything that takes place in the universe that I have no control over or can't possibly understand. 
And there's a simple way to test if you can be spiritual. And it's really simple and it applies to everyone universally. There's two, two tests because some people, if anyone has ever tried to lose weight, and those people walk up to a scale, and they know they've been eating lousy. And if you pause and close your eyes and either look down or look up before you get on that scale, my question is, who are you talking to? Because <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you something, that's spirituality. Yeah. You're, you're asking the universe to give you, cut you a break, to cut you a deal. Now, if you know you just ate 10 pounds of meat and you're asking for actual weight loss, that's a miracle you're asking for and that's religion. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the difference. Spirituality is asking and, and being, you know, asking for hope. Religion is that miracle you want, right? And it might not happen. But being okay with the outcome is the important part. If you've never tried to lose weight, and maybe there's 10 people in the world that have never tried to lose weight, have you ever gotten an ATM statement, closed your eyes, and hoped the balance was bigger than it was? Right? Because <laughs> that's another spiritual act. Right? And you're just hoping for things. And so when I go to create my spiritual list, it's very similar to my gratitude list, but it's people I'm hoping for or wishing for, right? It's a friend who's going through a divorce. It's a friend who's trying to lose weight. It's a friend who just lost a spouse. I pray for my own marriage, not because it's bad, but because, hey, if I can get some help, all the better, right? I am humble enough to know that I don't know everything, so I pray for humility, I pray for willingness and openness and patience. I pray for my children. I pay, pray for my business. I pray for my clients. And I'll tell you, I'm able to create 30 things I pray for before I even have to start struggling and thinking about people. Right? And I'll tell you, what it helps me do is it really helps me rewire my brain to start interacting with the world differently. Right. So the act of asking myself how happy I am and starting out with gratitude and praying for others, all of a sudden, rather than wiring and rewiring and reinforcing my brain to protect my own self-interest, I start to rewire my brain to find joy and happiness and contentment and acceptance in how the world is and how the world is presenting itself to me. And I start to realize that I've become really aware of who I am as an individual, right? And rather than praying that I get paid by my clients, I find that I'm starting to pray that my clients succeed, right? Because who would you rather do business with? Someone that's going to pray for you and hope for the best and continue to deliver or someone that's going to really squeeze you because they don't feel they're getting enough, of, they're, they're not getting paid, right? I used to feel that if I choked my clients, I would have a better company and we would grow faster. I have found when I focus on my service and myself, I have a better company. And so spirituality for me is just that act of opening up and hoping for others because I know that the universe is going to take care of me. The final piece is mindfulness. 
And uh, the act of uh, mindfulness uh, is as follows. I can give you the easiest example. Mindfulness is coming into contact and touch with your own body. So you uh, are aware you're living in the present moment. And so uh, imagine yourself getting cut off by uh, someone in traffic and you immediately experiencing road rage and you immediately wanting to chase that person or scream at that person. A mindful activity would be to take a deep breath and accept that that incident has already passed, right? Mindfulness is the acknowledgement of things that have gone by. And so if you can anger yourself into that uncut, uh, having that guy uncut you off, right? You could literally produce enough anger to make that guy reverse and uncut you off. Well, then I'm interested in, in what you're selling because that's never happened to me. I've never created enough energy and anger to undo something from my past, right? However, I've created enough energy in the practice of mindfulness to accept what has taken place and determine what I'm going to focus on going forward, right? And so I will give you the analogy because of dealing with dual diagnosis. I could get angry uh, at my father and his treatment of me, and I could waste all of that energy from finding true happiness and peace and acceptance, or I could accept that that has happened in my past and start to move forward from that. And so throughout the day, I'm challenged with mindful experiences all the time, right? I get upsetting emails from clients. I get upsetting calls from my spouse. I get upsetting everything. People cut me off. I was on a plane the other day and I knew where my seat was and the people, they were very nice people, but they were telling me I was wrong. And then someone else from another row tried to get involved. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, I don't understand. You know, the old, the old Michael would have started to get really angry. And, and the, the, the rewired Michael was, here's a statement of fact. I have a ticket. <laughs> here's where my seat is. I could expend energy on trying to prove a fact or I could take a deep breath and enjoy that I'm here with these other people and that I have the money to fly on a plane and I'm coming home from a long week on business, right? I could be grateful that I'm going to see my kids in two hours. Now, the question I have for people is do you want to spend your afternoon getting angry at the people you're about to sit next to for two hours? Or do you want to smile knowing you're going to see your kids in two hours? Because I'll tell you, I used to be the angry guy. It got me nowhere. It got me nowhere. And now that I'm the happy guy, I actually showed the people that were sitting next to me pictures of my kids for the trip. Right? That's the outcome I was hoping for. And so for me, mindfulness is all about accepting where you are, what you're doing at the present moment. And, and being present in life. The final piece of my app is goal setting. And so what I find to be so important about goal setting is not to have these long range goals that are unachievable or unattainable or uncompre- incomprehensible. The most important part for me, I deal addition, in addition to alcohol and, and casual drug use, I deal with food addiction. 
And so I didn't talk about it earlier. I've gained 155 pounds twice in my life. I've lost it twice in my life. And so I would resort to beating myself up and binging and compulsively overeating. You know, you and, you and me both, we have a similar background where that's concerned. I tell people all the time, I have lost and gained enough weight to make the chief's front line. Right. You know, um, and, and it is frustrating because it... It it is a way of dealing emotionally at times, instead of being able to just sit in that mindful space, right? Right. So, um, right. And I'll, so, I'll, I'll let you go ahead with the goal setting. That that's something that I also have to do. So, I'd like to hear your take on that with the app. Absolutely. And so, for me, you know, when I look at at the the successes in my life and the failures surrounding weight, when I gained 155 pounds, I'll tell you how I did it. One pound at a time. And when I lost the weight, I lost it one pound at a time. So rather than waking up and setting goals, lose 50 pounds, there's not many people that wake up and lose 50 pounds. Right? So now my goal for the day is follow my food plan. My goal for the day is exercise for 10 minutes. Right? My goal for the day is to clear out my inbox. It's not run a marathon in three months. Right, Because what's going to happen in three months? If I exercise 10 minutes every day and increase it slightly on a daily basis and commit to those goals, I'm going to run that marathon. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to run that 5K. Whatever it is, it's going to happen one brick at a time. And I had a, I had a very, very wise therapist say to me, I had all of this negative self-talk. Because I was comparing myself to others around me. And I was 26 years old, wondering when I was going to be as successful as a 60-year-old. Well, you know, the, the, the honest answer when I'm not in crisis is probably when I'm 60. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the yeah. second answer is, who cares? Why does it matter? Exactly. Right? And so uh, my therapist said to me, listen. Rather than worrying, he's like, you want to know how buildings are built? Uh, I'm like, listen, I'm, I want to be as rich as a 60-year-old. You're going to tell me how buildings are built? This is probably not going to be a good session. I'm like, but I'll listen. And I heard it. And he said, just build, uh, buildings are built one brick at a time. And I'll tell you something. That was told to me 13 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I could tell you, I have 36 employees I have a seven-figure business, right? I have a building that I'm sitting in, that I'm sitting on top of that has happened through crisis, through success, through good times, through bad times, right? But the, the building has built itself because every day I woke up and tried to put one more brick in the building, right? And so now I'm able to reflect back. And I'm no longer comparing myself to future Michael. I'm no longer comparing myself to future anyone. I'll tell you, I love today. Fortunately, fortunately for us, today is Monday, right? Because society says that today should suck for both of us, right? That's what we're taught, right? Monday's lousy. Monday's the start of a week. But for me, it's just another day, Right? Because I wake up and I ask myself that simple question, how happy am I? And then I create my gratitudes and my spirituality and my mindfulness moments and I set my goals for today. 
And all of a sudden, rather than looking down the abyss of starting another week, I'm now focused on, hey, I'm feeling pretty good and it's not an accident, right? It's intentional. You know, I'm starting to rewire how I view today and rather than letting every email come in and upset me, I'm feeling good about myself. You know, so, uh, but for, for goal setting, to me, my goals today are to clean my inbox, exercise for 30 minutes and follow my food plan. If I accomplish that, I'm a success. If I don't accomplish it, at least I wrote it down and I'm a success, right? I can't yeah, I lose at this point. So much of the problem that we have with this, you know, you make a good point when you say, when will I be as successful as the 60-year-old businessman? In that um, so much of what we get caught up in, and it's a societal message that we get, is this kind of external validation instead of really redefining success and what is success. And success isn't whether or not I meet every goal I wrote down for today or whether or not I've built the building. It's whether or not I gave it my best shot, period. Did I get up? Was I engaged? Did I meet the day? You know, and, and that I think we just have to not only as a society, but certainly as individuals who struggle with these things, redefine what success is, you know. But- Absolutely. And I, and I think if you take it one step further, Robert, not only redefining success, redefine happiness, right? Because people have this concept that happiness is, is smiles on a beach with warm weather, right? For me, happiness is sitting in traffic and not caring about the traffic. Well, yeah, and, and the... The, the whole it, it's that acceptance of what is instead of needing it to be something else and you know we live in a society where drug companies would very much like us to believe that we should not ever have to suffer pain um, you know and I tell people that with mindfulness we learn two things one pain is guaranteed in life suffering doesn't have to be you know suffering is something we choose when we try to resist that pain instead of like you said learning to just sit in the traffic and taking advantage of that free time, you right. know? So, uh, Michael, I've really appreciated you having you on today. Um, um, I'm going to let my listeners know now that I will have links to your app, to your website, to all of those things underneath the artwork for the episode. So I look forward to, um, my listeners being able to use that. Um, I have toyed around with the app myself and I think it holds a lot of promise. Um, so I think, you know, I think it can be a really motivating get started and get going kind of thing for people. Well, thank you, Robert. I, I appreciate you having me. And just, you know, one last piece. Uh, if anyone's interested in reaching out or has specific questions, uh, I could personally be reached at M Weinberger. So it's M W E I N B E R G E R at a plan for com. And I respond to all those emails personally. So if you have direct questions, I'd be glad to answer. Great. And your website then is a planforliving.com. That's right. And your app is available on the uh, iTunes and Google Play and all those major platforms, right? That's exactly right. All right. I will include that stuff underneath the uh, episode artwork so people don't have to think about it too. Thanks again for being here, Michael. Thanks, Robert. Take care. That was my discussion with Michael Weinberger. I really appreciate Michael being on here. One last time, I'll have all of his contact information 
and his app, which I've looked at myself and is really a neat app. I think it could help a lot of us um, kind of organize our, our recovery. Um, certainly any support we can get in doing that and making our recovery a new habit is going to help. And once again, I want to remind you that if you're struggling with building your own mindfulness practice, if you're looking for a therapist, if you have questions or ideas about podcasts in the future, please feel free to reach out and get a hold of me. You can reach me at mindfulrecoverypodcast.com. You can join our mailing list there, or you can simply contact me from there, or you can email me directly at robert at liferecoveryconsulting.com. I also want to encourage you to go to the Mindful Recovery Facebook group on Facebook, search for it, and join there because I'm posting more and more resources. In addition, you can post your questions there in an open forum where everybody might benefit from the information that you're looking for. So I am also going to start making available some free webinars that cover the brain science involved with anxiety and depression and how mindfulness can really help with those things. So I go into a lot of detail about what anxiety is, what depression looks like, how they're related, and how the brain works. So all of those resources are out there for you. I encourage you to take advantage of them. And so with the sound of the music, you know we've come to the end of another week's episode of Mindful Recovery. I want to thank you for being here with me. And remember, Mindful Recovery is the podcast dedicated to helping you recover from your trauma and addictions, one breath at a time.